What do we do when part of our Baptist family does not go along with what our Baptist faith teaches us and becomes captive to political power whose values are completely against the kingdom of God? That story we have much to learn from. Welcome to Baptist Without an Adjective, a podcast of Word and Way. I'm your host, Word and Way editor and president, Brian Kaler. On this program, we'll hear from Baptists from across the denominational, ethnic, national, and ideological lines that too often divide us. At Word and Way, we've been informing and inspiring Baptists since 1896. Learn more about us at wordandway.org. In this episode, we're going to have a conversation with Lee Spitzer. He's a historian for the Baptist World Alliance, an affiliate professor of church history at Northern Seminary in Chicago, and the retired general secretary of the American Baptist Churches USA. But we're going to be talking with him about his latest book, Sympathy, Solidarity, and Silence, Three European Baptist Responses to the Holocaust. This is actually his second book, looking at Baptist responses to the Holocaust. And we had a conversation with Lee about his first book back in 2018, Baptist Jews in the Holocaust, The Hand of Sincere Friendship. We'll talk a little bit about that book in this episode before primarily focusing on his new one. But if you'd like to listen to that earlier conversation, it was way back in episode 18, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes at podcast.wordandway.org. Before we jump into this conversation, let me remind you that if you're listening to the show and you haven't also subscribed to our newer program, Dangerous Dogma, you can do that wherever you're listening to this podcast or at dogma.wordandway.org. And now here's my conversation with Lee Spitzer on sympathy, solidarity, and silence. Well, Lee, first of all, welcome to the program. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, I'm really excited to have this conversation. We're going to be talking about your brand new book, Sympathy, Solidarity, and Silence, Three European Baptist Responses to the Holocaust. But before we get there, I want to I want to actually do the setup, and I'll put a link in the show notes. You and I spoke previously a few years ago, pre-COVID, about your first kind of book in this series, Baptist Jews and the Holocaust, The Hand of Sincere Friendship. And I highly encourage people to pick up both of these books. So let's maybe just get a quick little reminder or an update for people who haven't read the first one. What were you trying to tackle in the first volume? Baptist Jews and the Holocaust, which came out in 2017, focuses on how Baptists in the United States responded to the rise of Hitler and Nazism and uh, finding out about the Holocaust, what we did about it. And it focuses on American Baptists, who in those days were called the Northern Baptist Convention, Southern Baptists, of course, the largest Baptist group in the world, and the National Baptists and other African-American Baptist groups. Taken together, uh, those three Baptist organizations represented the vast majority of Baptists throughout the United States, and they were in conversation with each other throughout the entire time. Each organization had its own narrative arc in how they responded to Jews, anti-Semitism, and the challenge of Nazism. Also in that book, I cover uh, the response of the Baptist World Alliance, which is the global umbrella organization for Baptists, and how they 
um, attended to the challenges posed by Nazism. And of course, the Baptist World Alliance was very much in conversation with the three American uh, denominational organizations and movements. Yeah. And so then now for the new volume, you've moved across the pond to look at some some responses there in Europe. And we're, we're going to unpack each of these three in a moment. But, you know, I, I've got two questions I want to ask you about. One is about the volumes overall. Why why did you want to explore this topic? Why, do, why does it matter to look at how Christian leaders, and in this case, specifically Baptist leaders, were responding to the rise of Hitler and the Nazi party, the beginnings of, of World War II, the atrocities against the Jews. Why, why do you think it's important that we read and to understand and to learn this history? Well, there, there are a couple of uh, reasons for that, Brian. On a very personal level, I personally come from a Jewish background and became a follower of Jesus when I was 14 years old and joined the American Baptist churches as a member in 1979 and then was ordained out of seminary to be an American Baptist minister. And for many, many uh, decades throughout a lot of my pastoral experience, I, I always wondered about what Baptists had done during the 1930s and 1940s and how they felt about Jews and anti-Semitism. But I was so busy pastoring American Baptist churches that I had no time to get into that um, question. So um, 11 years ago, I asked at a national meeting in private conversation several of our best historians in the denomination what they knew about that period. And they responded to me that they knew very little. And so that made me think that perhaps there's a story. So I discovered an article that was written and presented uh, as a paper in Oxford in the late 1980s that basically said there was nothing really to find because Baptists were silent because they were anti-Semitic. I was stunned. And looking at the scholar's footnotes, I realized that he had not done his homework. So I thought I would write an article to respond to that. And I started doing a little investigation. Within one hour, I discovered his thesis was wrong by examining primary source documents. And that changed my life. What became a desire to answer a single question has taken over my spiritual journey and one of the reasons why I retired early from being a denominational leader for ABC USA is to pursue and to write what I have found from archives all over the world, where the story of Baptists and the Holocaust is many-sided. It's very dramatic in many instances. And there are many things about the story that we Baptists in the 21st century can be proud of and some things that we might feel shame for. Uh, and so I wanted, as a historian, to bring out the story, to revive the memories of it so that we would, would appreciate our history. But secondly, today we live in a world of evil all around us. And sometimes I think individual Christians worry about whether or not they can make a difference in a world where evil poses so many challenges. Well, in the 1930s, that evil was Nazism. And I think as we look back at the journeys of Baptists, both uh, leaders as well as just ordinary people, and see how they responded to the Jewish community in friendship, 
how they opposed Hitler, what actions they took verbally as well as in actual real-life risk-taking to save Jewish people who were under oppression and persecution. We, we can gain insight and hope that we can face the evils of our own day and as Christians rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to give us the strength we need to represent the values of the kingdom of God and to do it in a way that's prophetic, even though often it entails risk. And one of the things I want to stress that in case people didn't hear that in what you talk about is, you know, you've been digging into the primary sources. I mean, this is a lot of significant research. Some of it hasn't been written about before. You've been finding new things. I know for, you know, for the first book, one of the things that I enjoyed was that you went through the archives of Word and Way, and we show up several times, uh, including uh, positively. So that was really exciting to see. And one of the, one of the few, uh, few places where there was something you had nice to say. Uh, and so that's, you know, fun to say, but you're, you've been doing some significant research uh, and it's, it's, it's heavily footnoted and, you know, bibliography in the end. And so this, it's, it's impressive work, what you have been documenting and doing. Thank you. And I, I do want to stress that though, of course, it's, it's a work of history and it needs to have documentation. The average person um, would would be able to relate to both books because they're books of stories of real live people who find themselves in a drama that's bigger than themselves. And unlike us, they don't know the ending. And so it's really interesting to see how uh, Baptists across the world decided to take action against Nazism and in favor of helping Jewish people, even though they don't have the full story like we now do as we look back. Um, and it shows us that, that um, courage and goodness do exist, and we, we can be inspired by that. So I would encourage people not to be afraid of the fact that it is a, a work of authentic historical research, it's a story. It's a set of stories. And I liken it to it's a real life Da Vinci code when you get into it. So if you liked the Da Vinci code, you're going to love the real life stories that are in the two books. That's right. I mean, yeah, it's very accessible. I think particularly the, the, your newest volume, I, I can I, I hope you've got, you know, movie rights that you can sell here because I, I feel like the, a story could come out of uh, uh, particularly maybe the, one, the second section. But we'll get into those here in a moment. Big picture first, though, you decided this time to go and do the European side. And, you know, we, we, we've talked before in person. Uh, now we've hit record this time for other people to hear. So I know a little bit of the story of what, what you've been working on. Tell us a little bit about why you decided to do the European study and kind of how I know COVID changed some of your plans and, and impacted you as you were working on this. But, you know, you started with your own tradition and your own country. And then now you decided, I want to see what Baptists in these other contexts were also saying and doing. Yeah. I, first of all, it's important to understand that the Baptists are a global religious movement. We are the largest free church in the world, and we are represented in, in many, many countries of the world, more now than we were even then. But even then, we were seen as a global movement, and we had a, an alliance that was global, the Baptist World Alliance. Each country, each 
uh, national Baptist movement has its own unique story in how it responded. No two countries Baptists responded in exactly the same way as anyone else. Even though all these national Baptist movements are in conversation with one another bilaterally and through the Baptist World Alliance, nevertheless, as they say, all politics is local. And so we see that. So, for example, the English Baptist story, which I cover in the new book, or the Scottish Baptist, or the French, or the German, they are all in conversation with Northern Baptists, Southern Baptists, National Baptists in the United States, but their stories are different because, first of all, they're geographically closer to the source of the conflict, Nazi Germany. We here in America looked on of what was happening across the ocean. We were long-distance bystander observers. So much of our response in America was to make resolutions about what was happening over there, statements. We also had to respond when gradually Jewish immigrants who escaped persecution made it to our country. And so we had, especially through the women's ministries of our denominations, outreaches to Jewish immigrants to help them find new lives here in America. They were called for Northern Baptists, the Christian Friendliness Missionaries. And they're the heroines of my first book, 12 Prophetic Women, who were absolutely amazing. And I'm in love with all 12 of them. And they should be part of the movie for sure. But when you get to Europe, words are not sufficient because right away there are Jews fleeing Nazi Germany that end up in France that end up in England. You could not, if you were a Baptist from those countries, avoid facing the dilemma, the existential dilemma for survival that Jews had right there in your own town or, or country. So they were not only bystander observers. They, whether they wanted to or not, became active participants, protagonists most of the time, uh, in the drama of what was happening to the Jewish people in real time, often having to make decisions that would put themselves in risk or sacrifice in order to help people who had nowhere else and no one else to turn to. Other countries, by the way, there are more books to come. The Canadian story is fantastic and deserves a book on its own. Australia. New Zealand have stories of their own as well. And so in the future, I hope to address some of those countries. And every country where there were Baptists in Europe has a story. And other scholars are working on that hard. So I'm not alone in this journey or in this endeavor. But there's much more to tell than we have read or seen published up to this date. Well, let's give people a, a taste of a little bit what's in this volume. Obviously, there's so much that we can't tell, and so people are going to have to pick up the book to read all of the stories. But your title gives us a hint that there's three different countries and three different responses that are happening with sympathy, solidarity, and silence. So let's start with the sympathy. Who is that, and, and what's a little bit of their story? The sympathy section in the book refers to the historical narrative 
of the Baptists in Great Britain, Wales, and Scotland. Um, from the very first weeks of Hitler's rise to power in 1933, British Baptists came on record opposing what was what Nazism stood for. The general secretary of the Baptist Union was a guy named M.E. Aubrey, just an incredible leader for the entire period from 1933 to 1945. He stood firm as a Baptist voice, prophetically speaking, against Nazi totalitarianism and also against Nazi anti-Semitism. In the early stage of this whole era, Aubrey was the Baptist leader who we could count on to say that Baptists had to be on the side of the Jews. And because we spiritually are a democratic movement, we have to oppose all forms of totalitarianism, whether it's communism, whether it was Nazism, fascism, etc., we were the democratic people because we believed that we were all made, all people were made in the image of God. And thus had, in those days, they used the word personality, which they didn't mean by you're happy, sad, shy, or gregarious. They meant that you had a soul made in God's image. Therefore, you were of infinite worth. Because you're of infinite worth, you should have total freedom of conscience. Because you have freedom of conscience, you have civil rights. Because you have civil rights, you should not be persecuted for what you believe about God and about society. So right from the beginning, Aubrey says, we Baptists must be in favor of political democracy. We must therefore be against Hitler and Nazism. And he correctly understood Hitler's anti-Semitism was opposed to every fundamental conviction that Baptists had because they were across the channel and they were never invaded successfully by Nazi Germany or occupied. The British Baptists are observers for much of the time of what's going on on the continent, but then after Kristallnacht, in 1938, they also become participants as a wave of Jewish people come to England to escape Nazi persecution. Throughout all their pronouncements, the key word you hear over and over again is that they want to express to the Jewish people throughout Europe their profound sympathy for what they are experiencing. And that sympathy is not just a feeling. But it's a, a conviction that Baptists and Jews are one against Hitler. And therefore, whatever Baptists in England can do, they're going to try to do. And that's the story I tell. What did they say? They were sympathetic. How did they act on that sympathy? Well, you read the book and you find many stories that detail that, that adventure. It's a it's an important story, I, 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 particularly two of the things that you stress, this idea of both standing up against the anti-Semitism before refugees were coming, but then also as a way of them practicing that by welcoming Jewish refugees. But you also talked about this idea of, of this democratic nature 
of Baptist and how that that seemed to impact their understanding of what was happening in Germany. And I think, you know, that that mix there between theology and, you know, understanding current events is fascinating that Baptists were able, the English Baptists were making that connection as to why people should have freedom, uh, including freedom to practice their religion, which religious liberty has been, you know, a key part of Baptists in thinking about both inside their own churches as well as their public engagement since the very beginning of the Baptist movement. Yes, and, and certainly Aubrey, as General Secretary of the British Baptists, was the champion of that form of religion, for religion and also in the civil sphere. In fact, in 1939, at the Baptist World Congress in Atlanta, he engaged in a dramatic and titanic debate against the leader of the German Baptists on this issue of democracy versus totalitarianism. And Aubrey made it clear as day that the Baptist movement must stand against all forms of political and governmental totalitarianism that takes away the freedom of people, not just the freedom of some people, but the freedom of all people, whether they believe in God or whether they're atheist, whether they're Baptist or whether they're Jewish. We believe as Baptists that freedom of conscience means there must be separation of church and state. There must be freedom within society so that individuals can lead their life according to their conscience. This is the Baptist understanding of the spiritual life applied to the political order. And Aubrey had that consistent courage, and he stood up against the German Baptists who had already capitulated to Hitler and were representing Nazism as if it was okay and acceptable. And Aubrey said, not on your life. You're not going to get away with this as long as I'm a leader within the Baptist World Alliance. He was a shining voice of prophetic political uh, wisdom that we in the 21st century need to hear again. We can learn a lot from Aubrey and what he said in his debates with German Baptists in the 30s and 40s. And of course, I deal to detail that in both books, as it were. So then the second country that you're dealing with in this book is the solidarity section from the title. So who are we talking about in this case? Now you have to travel across the channel and go to France. And the French Baptists, of course, were a very small part of French society, a very small minority. Yet, even though they were small, they were well organized. There were actually three branches of the French Baptist movement, and I cover responses from them. But, but because they were so small, the role of individuals really stands out. But before we get into some of that, there's something I, I'd want the readers to understand that I learned from a, another French scholar, as it were. And that is when we think about the plight of Jewish refugees fleeing Hitler and, and fanning themselves to whatever country in Europe they can get to, often at, at great danger, um, they required the assistance of people in the countries they were fleeing to, to give them shelter, food, 
to help them get down the road to their ultimate destination where that would be. But nevertheless, even though they required assistance, they were they had agency, to use a modern word. They were active in seeking their own survival. The Jewish people were not passive in in this process. So it was a privilege for Baptists throughout France to come alongside, hence solidarity, and walk with these Jewish people who were in transit, and often just within minutes or hours of being captured by the Nazis and sent to extermination camps. What the book shows is that all throughout France, there were Baptist pastors, as well as lay people, who went out of their way and were willing even to sacrifice their own lives to help these Jewish people who were strangers to them, who had come into their midst and had this incredible need. And Baptist churches, pastors, and lay people stood up and said, we will, in the name of Christ, help you because we, as followers of Jesus, a Jew, love the Jewish people. And so the French story, to me, is incredibly inspiring because there's sacrifice, there's heroism, there's real action to help real people, and there's danger everywhere that this is happening. It's an amazing story. The French, I applaud for their um, response, which was often ad hoc. It it wasn't all well planned out ahead of time. A need arose. A person's at your front door. What do you do to help them? And French Baptists responded in ways that I think would make the entire Baptist movement very proud. Yeah, I mean, that chapter, your second chapter on French Baptists, you, you titled The Heroism of French Baptist Resisters and Rescuers. And it's just, you know, one story after another of, of people doing amazing and courageous things, putting their own lives, their own families, their own, you know, fortunes and, and houses at, at risk. I wonder if we could pick one of those stories of a resistor rescuer just to give people a little bit of what, what's happening here, and then there's several others for them to find in the book. Sure. Uh, perhaps the, the most famous story takes place in the south of France, in the town of Nice, where a pastor named Edmund Everard, his wife and his che- teenage sons, uh, guide their church to become a haven for Jews fleeing into Uh, Free France at that point, because you can remember the Nazis come in the north. They take over the northern part, including Paris. The Jewish refugees all flee south, hoping to get to ports like Marseille and Nice and get out of France and end up in places like England or the United States or South America and find freedom. This little church in Nice goes out of their way to help Jews. Not by themselves, by the way. They join networks of French resistors, such as the Marcel Network, which is a very famous network that saved hundreds and hundreds of Jewish refugees. 
But not only did they give money, and not only did they allow their church to be used as a base, Evrard and his congregation, in concert with others, hid Jews in homes, smuggled Jews through the French countryside to get over the border in the mountains into Switzerland. Evrard's sons served as nighttime guides to bring refugees to the border into freedom in Switzerland at great cost of their own lives. Um, one of the famous stories is of a town in central France called Le Chabon. And there a pastor named Trochme led the largest community-wide resistance to Nazism and saving Jews. Evrod and Trochme were friends. And so they worked together. Evrod actually taught Bible studies to people in that town. Uh, and through there, helped smuggle people to uh, other countries. Um, there's a great story of Evrard's church being used for the Jewish people in Nice to have Purim celebration, while his sons guarded the church outside to make sure German police or soldiers would not know what was going on or try to enter the building. Um, the, the notion of a Baptist church saying to a persecuted Jewish community, you celebrate Purim, the story of Esther, saving the Jewish people, right, from a dictator. It's lovely. But Evrard also goes to the Gestapo and actively seeks to save Jewish individuals who are threatened with deportation to extermination camps. And his intercession saved people's lives. When, when you think about this, it, it's just remarkable. This guy could have been sent to prison at any time. And his family joins in and his church joins in. It makes me proud to be a Baptist when I hear a story of service like that. It's a really inspiring chapter. It's really exciting that these stories are getting more attention because these are individuals that deserve for people to know what they, what they did. We'll be right back with the rest of this conversation. But first, I want to remind you that you should subscribe to Warden Way's award-winning e-newsletter, A Public Witness. It will help you make sense of the world of faith, culture, and politics. Learn more and subscribe today at publicwitness.wordandway.org. And now, back to our conversation. And then we're going to move from the high note to your, your third country, the low note, the, the silence in the sympathy, solidarity, and silence. So I think everyone probably can guess where we're headed now for the last country in this tour of uh, continental Europe. Yes, now it's time to go to Nazi Germany. And this is a very... Um, difficult story to tell, not because it's hard to understand, but because it's not a story that Baptists can feel proud of. In fact, it calls us to a sense of shame. The German Baptists were the strongest Baptist movement, the center of the Baptist movement in Europe, in continental Europe. And ironically, the German Baptist movement um, was founded essentially by three 
Baptist giants of the 19th century. One of the three was a man named Julius Kobner, who was a converted Jew. He was Danish. He became a Christian as a young man. Eventually, he becomes a Baptist. He very quickly rises to be a continental leader. Um, in as the Baptist movement spreads throughout the countries of Central Europe, he writes Baptist Confession of Faith that the German Baptists held for a century. Um, it is the most Jewish Christian document that I have ever seen published <laughs> in the history of Christianity. Uh, to read it, you can tell it was written by someone who had great Jewish knowledge. It so grounds the Christian Baptist faith in its Jewish past. It's a remarkable document. And yet, when Hitler comes to power, German Baptists, just like the average German, welcomed Hitler openly, enthusiastically. And what I chronicle is how the Baptist movement in Germany, especially their leaders, capitulated to Hitler, his agenda, Nazism, totalitarianism, and was silent concerning Hitler's anti-Semitism, which was at the core of the ideology of the Nazi movement. Ironically, the German Baptists were silent about the plight of their Jewish neighbors, but they were not silent when it came to defending Hitler and Nazism on the world stage when they were with other Baptists from other countries. So the silence was actually selective. It was a silence when it came to the Jews who died in their midst. But it was not silent in terms of their advocacy for what Nazi Germany was doing and German Baptist support for what Hitler was doing. And so it's a very, very sad story. But yet we Baptists must face our past, even when the story isn't a happy or positive one. Uh, we must embrace the truth in all of its forms. And though it was very hard for me to write the last third of the book, it's a necessary part of our memory. What do we do when part of our Baptist family does not go along with what our Baptist faith teaches us and becomes captive to political power whose values are completely against the kingdom of God? That story we have much to learn from. Yeah, and one of the important things that you do in this book is by going to the primary sources, you've been able to identify the ways that this story hasn't been fully told before. That German Baptists, others, as they have told the story, haven't fully dealt with the level of complicity in what was happening. And particularly, you you. you document the work around their confession of faith. And I wonder if you could talk about what you were able to discover and how the story hasn't been told. Yeah, the story of the confession of faith is actually a continuation of the story about silence. For one of the agendas of Hitler 
was to completely wipe away anything in German society that had to do with the Jewish people, their history, their scholarship, their books, their religious heritage, their existence had to be wiped away. So that was a problem for German Christians because our Bible is a Jewish book. The whole Old Testament and most of the New Testament was written by Jews. Jesus was Jewish. It's very clear from the Bible that he was Jewish. But there was a movement within Germany to declare that Jesus was Aryan, not Jewish, and to rid Christianity of anything that had a Jewish background or roots. What I allege in the book is that German Baptists cooperated with that movement to de-Judaize the Christian faith. And when we do that, we go into heresy. It's inevitable because there is no way to separate the Jewishness of Jesus from the Christianity that we now follow. They are one in the same. You, if we follow a Jewish Jesus, we cannot de-Judaize our faith. So what the German Baptists did in particular, one of the, the educational leaders, professor in Germany, uh, who was a mentor to most of the pastors in Germany, a man named Lukey, Hans Lukey, is in 43 and 44, he rewrote Kovner's Confession, took out all the Jewish parts of the Confession, and you'd never know that even Jesus was a Jew in the Confession, and rewrites it and very subtly, I allege, inserts Nazi terminology and a worldview about Volk, people, about blood, about soil, about allegiance to the government and its leader, which was, of course, Hitler. And so before you know it, the new confession of faith that the German Baptists adopted in 1944 is a confession that aligns them with the reality of Nazi Germany. And as a result, represents a horrific compromise with Christian orthodoxy, heritage, tradition, Baptist core convictions, you name it. And what I show in the book, I think for the first time, is that, sadly, after the war was over, German Baptists refused to repent. And that is known, that has been known. But what has not been known is that after the war, a cover-up quickly happened, in which the German Baptists portrayed themselves as Hitler's victims rather than collaborators. And the Baptist World Alliance and his leaders, including all the protagonists who were on the right side of history on this, decided, they made a decision in 46 and 47, that the unity of the Baptist movement and the reincorporation of German Baptists back into the family was more important than holding the German Baptists accountable for their sins. And even though the General Secretary of the BWA had promised during the war 
He was going to hold them accountable. His deep, deep desire for the unity of the Baptist World Alliance prevented him from following through on his promise. And as a result, in 1947, the German Baptists were brought back into the family, never held accountable for their sins during the Nazi era, and quickly incorporated back into international leadership. And I would say to this day, there has never been an acceptable expression of accountability and contrition, either on the part of the German Baptists for what they did, and for the Baptist World Alliance in allowing them to escape accountability. Our soul is damaged, Brian, when we don't admit and confess the truth. Isn't that what we believe? Isn't that why we take communion every month? Right? We confess our sins and receive forgiveness and we receive grace and mercy. But you got to confess your sins. And so what the book is calling for is us to face the truth of that time. Both the positive stories, which I emphasize and am proud of, and this negative story that haunts us. And I believe we are being called to confront the past and celebrate what was good and confess and be contrite about what we did not do well. We did not help the Jewish people as much as we could have. We need to repent on that and learn, do better in the future. We did not hold the German Baptists accountable in the 40s. It's time to right that wrong. And we ourselves put one core conviction above another. And in so the, the global Baptist movement hurt its own soul through that act of cover-up. That, that may be very controversial in some places, but that's what history seems to indicate, if I've gotten the story correct. Yeah, there's a lot there to wrestle with and unpack, and that's one of the things that I wanted to highlight, and you just did it so well. You know, this isn't just a story about the past. This is a story that has implications for how do we still deal with that past? How do we make amends? And how do we live ourselves, not just with those past stories, but how do we live in the own context that we find ourselves? How can we learn from the past as we're living today and into the future? And so there's there's a lot that this book, I think, should help challenge Christians to think about today and how can we do a better job in the future, but also how can we do a better job of wrestling with and making amends for our own history and our own past as a family. And so I really appreciate all that you uh, have put together in this book. It is a really important story. There's so much more in there, and I encourage people to check it out. Well, thank you very much, Brian, for allowing me to be on the podcast. And I want to thank the listeners for spending the time to hear about uh, a part of Baptist history that they may not be fully aware of. I, I would encourage people to pick up both books and to, to find out about our past. Not be afraid to hear the stories. You will be inspired. You'll also be challenged. But that's the beauty of history. It teaches us. And I would suggest, though we don't have the time to go into it, 
the stories of the 30s and 40s about immigration, about nationalism gone awry, about racism and anti-Semitism, the stories that we are facing in the middle of the 21st century are the same stories that they faced in the 1930s and 40s. The context is slightly different, but the issues are the same. And so we can learn an awful lot from how Baptists responded to Hitler, his anti-Semitism, and his totalitarianism. And then we can apply it right away into our current context. And I pray for Americans in who are Christians in our country that we not give in to aberrant forms of nationalism, that we are willing to look at our past about things like racism and prejudice and, and take accountability and repent, that we understand that when people come to our shores as immigrants, they're fleeing situations where their lives are often in danger. Can we show compassion and care? These are the kind of themes that were part of Baptist life in the 30s and 40s. Here we are in the 21st century. The same themes are part of our spiritual journey as well. Lee, it's always great to talk with you. People need to pick up Sympathy, Solidarity, and Silence, three European Baptist responses to the Holocaust. Thank you very much. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Baptist Without an Adjective. Share it with your friends on Facebook. If you'd like to give to support this program, we greatly appreciate it. And all you have to do at wordandway.org is hit the donate button. And whatever you give there will help support the production of this podcast, as well as our website and monthly magazine. If you have any comments, feedback to give about this program, you can send those to me at bkaler at wordandway.org. Thanks for listening.